Are you one of the many who are bored at the sink? Here are 20 seconds that might just help. Wash your hands properly. Wash your hands properly. Wash your hands properly. And you won't get COVID-19. Wash your hands properly. Wash your hands properly. Wash your hands properly. And you won't get COVID-19. You're welcome. Now enough with the PSA. Let the beat drop. Hello, hello, hello. This is For Posterity, episode four. It's story time, good people, so gather around as I spin a tale of sci-fi meets reality meets revelations. Once upon a time called now, also known as March 2020, humanity was gripped by a global pandemic. Every human was under either a distancing or quarantine advisory. Of course, despite the warnings and recommendations, the ignorant continued to be the ignorant. The end. Yep, that's it. That's the end. The end of the story, but not the end of humanity. It's the end of the story and the end of society as we know it. But have no doubt, it is absolutely the end of days. You see, we are in the end of days because the future is here. Let me clarify what that means. See, this is the end of school days in uncomfortable government buildings. This is the end of days polluting your way through traffic to sit at a desk doing work that you could have done from home. This is the end of those days of global travel for a meeting that could have taken place via video conferencing. This is the end of the days that we once knew because tradition made them our reality. This is the dawn of a new day. This is the dawn of a revolution, as in a return to self, a return to family, and to the small communities that we once thought of as neighborhoods. These viral days are precious and fleeting because the new can only ever be temporary. That new feeling only lasts for a short while. You know, to protect itself, the mind has the ability to normalize most occurrences. For me, I think back to the terror alerts after September 11th, 2001. They started at red. And as red became normalized, we were at orange. And as that became normalized, we were set to yellow. The terror threat had not decreased as much as the newness of fear had become our new normal. The color adjustment reflected how we felt internally more than it reflected what was happening beyond the borders. In a way, we adjusted. So now in this time of coronavirus and its newness, we should take stock of ourselves. We should take stock of ourselves because these fleeting days of new angst offer a stern reminder that we are both more than and less than our job titles and more than and less than our account numbers. We are more than and less than our school books, our degrees, and our leisure activities. What I mean is this. 
We are humans on the planet Earth, and that has its consequences. By virtue of being made up of molecules, of atoms, of stardust from the universe, we are working against both gravity and entropy. And today, some individuals and some communities, large and small, face social entropy. Entropy being the tendency towards disorder. But if I can ask of you, beg of you really, I beg you to resist entropy and embrace the reality of living at the end of yesterday's tradition. Prepare, perhaps, for no more traditional schools seated at traditional desks, no more traditional work compartmentalized in traditional cubicles, and no more traditional entertainment in closed theaters and arenas breathing shared air. Today marks a new and exciting time. Call it the age of post-tradition. That's the real end of my story. And as you may have guessed, it was just a beginning. Episode four is all about the narrative. It's about the story, what it can do to us and what it can do for us, how words can make us more or less afraid, more or less secure, more or less aware. In this viral time of pandemic, all over social media and on feel-good news segments, we're being reminded to make the most of this time. And many are urging folks to pick up, download, or plug in a good book. So if I can do my part and add to the literary escape, I will. I have invited three friends to voice their writing for posterity. I warn you, though, these writings are not pie-in-the-sky stories. They may not make you smile or laugh, but they will make you think about the big picture for us as humans on this earth, as sisters and brothers in families, and it will make you think about loss. I asked these friends to read their own words because the writers, unlike the singers or painters, for example, the writers are so often disconnected from their artistry by their readers. So hear their words with the intention and accents and intonations that they bear. Hear the power of voice, the power of storytelling. We begin with the voice of Roland Watson Grant, a Jamaican author whose writing includes his 2013 novel, Sketcher, and its 2014 sequel, Skid. For this excerpt, Roland inhabits the St. Andrew's Parish female narrator, Raquel, from his short story, Everybody Live Uptown Now. It's published in issue one of pre-Caribbean writing. You can read more via the website, prelit.com. Here we go, Roland. My son Caleb has questions either bracing against the back of his teeth or springboarding off his tongue. We drive home before dark. The street boys have taken over Barbican Square. Some of them grew up here these last few years. I see them now as boys with beards. They leave the gambling behind and swarm the vehicle before we pause at the stoplight. It's a toll now. You must pay them to pass. Or you can pay the bodywork man or the doctor if that's where you prefer to put your money. One of them points at me, 
bites his lip and humps the front of the car to a rhythm playing from the sidewalk. Another one is at the window. I shrug. No money. He presses his mouth against the glass and points to his skin. Your husband's selfish, but look, you're black like me. Patrick says fuck you from behind the glass and flips a finger just in case the man didn't get the message. They chase the car and throw things. We have a drill for this. The kids get flat in the SUV and whoever is driving floors it. This time, we escape with only a ding in the passenger door. Patrick is livid. Why they don't go back to whichever rasp place they come from me? I wouldn't mind going as far as possible up Blue Mountain Ridge where they can't reach me. We make it through the wall. It's a broken fence, really. Patches of razor wire, curling from Norbrook and Cherry Gardens in the west, hugging the foothills of Jack's Hill and stretching across the ravine below Skyward Drive. The spaces in the fence are filled in with men and licensed firearms. The neighborhood watch, protecting the shelf. That's the code word for the foothills of the Blue Mountains. After dark, everywhere below the shelf is limbo. The men from the stoplight turn into climbers, people who break through and come up the hill at night for your food and your house and your life. Now we welcome the voice of Inez P. Rivera Prodosimi. She is a poet born to a world beyond the borders of time, space, or language. She is a global citizen with political rights in the Dominican Republic and the United States. Inez shares four poems, The Lost Santos, then The Communion, then The Santos Sang Through You, and finally, Playing Rocky and Apollo. All are collected in her 2018 book, Love Letter to an Afterlife. Thank you, Inez. The Los Santos, one. Every summer as a child, I am sent to you, Dia, and though I have no Santos, I love yours. When the power goes out, shadows walk beneath an oil lamp's burn. Copper silhouettes cut air, and your stories wake the women, watchers of night. Plump hands press against me, so I listen to your singing, to a song from across the Atlantic. Arms rock me as you stuff women into my mouth. I drink spirits you pour into me. The rocking chair creaks, beneath the weight of my tiny body, wrapped in the white nightgown embroidered with my name. Blessings, I ask. Bendicion, you echo. Two. Our house is a home full of women, full of honey and purple scarves to wrap thick hair in, full of strings we attach to each other's toes and tug when we are too weak to rise in the dark full of water and old Cuban boleros, so the moon remains forever like the rooster's dried foot. My aunt talks into the night. The women watchers rise from under the ground. We brush each other's wool hair, singing to Santos, overshadowing pictures of our dead. 
hidden in closets, the faces of my relatives peer up at St. Michael's foot, the tip of his sword, a silver point pointing down at the earth. Three. The women in my family whisper from within altars my aunt built next to the santo she believed watched over us. I go to them now, blowing candles out, poking at powder crosses covering the floor. And though I drink the water from the rose of Jericho and eat the flowers blooming at night, they disappear when I place my aunt's picture beside them. But at night, I hear my tia's voice and sing. I sing even though oil lamps don't burn, the santos have left. Our house is bare except for altars I wipe clean and the sound of water moving around my feet. Communion. I am eight, facing La Catedral Primada, my digits out in front of me, launching birds into shadows, the palm trees cast, the color of God's face. A woman nearby curses sins out of her head. Leave my birds alone or else I'll kill you with my thoughts. My shadow, skinny and long, lifts his penny loafer to stomp on birds I cast her way. I try to punch my shadow flat like boxers I've watched in the TV box souls get stuck in. But it's safer here than in the cathedral bells. I'm going to be a bird doctor when mama's shoes fit. I'll peel back the ears of ivory corn like she showed me. Throw kernels here in this field that's a coral cage. Mama's going to come live here, my sis and all of my friends. But there's a woman divining my future, reading sins in her hands. She knows what I hide inside. Shut my eyes, mute the mumbling. I peek through my fingers, see white trees with monster feet grow all around, and a boy who tells me to climb. Up I go behind him to find glass lizards hiding, and if I eat the wafer waiting today, it will be sweet mango I've stolen to stuff myself with and give to the boy whose prayers I bump against inside his mouth to save us. Birds grow seven colossal wings each. Build my dreams far away from the cathedral bells. They say I'm like them. One day, peacock feathers will grow from my back and an extra pair of eyes for the daggers thrown my way. They say the santo sang through you for Josefa Rivera Rincón. A white room with white curtains, white walls, white tiled floor, the white sheets, crisp and clean, flat across the bed. You lie there, looking up at the ceiling, the white footsies to cover my steps. You mumble something about a missing glass or a song misplaced. I touch you with white gloves, so quiet. The nurse's white uniform, white tray beside your bed, your white medical bracelet, there, 
there, it hurts your wrist, you say. Your black skin against all that white, you still look so pale. Your white nightgown, your white sweater, the island heat does not smother you. You call me by my aunt's name, move your eyes across the ceiling, back again, the white crescent moons of your nails, your hands telling me your pocketbook disappeared, asking, where is your sister? The whites of your eyes, small and smaller, as you squint to take a better look at me. And you call me by my name, Morena, you say. The white of your teeth when you smile, the white of your teeth when you sing. Under the water I'll live, I live counting the waves. Playing Rocky and Apollo. Our boxing gloves were tube socks wrapped round our knuckles. Cotton cushions we slapped and bumped like professionals. My sister and I marched, locking eyes with our corner men. Our brothers smeared Vaseline across our faces, shoved mouth guards in our mouths. They built us up, saying things like, Slip the jab, no fear. She kept her arms tucked against her ribs, gloves up, chin down, eyes fixed to spot an opening. Silently, her fist cut the air. A snapping inside my body, a subtle shifting of weight, and I rode the punch, limbs and tendons, a calculation of force absorption. Our bodies, one giant muscle, contracting, then expanding, a war inside the ring, amongst the twin beds we slept in, the matching floral comforters, the Bob Marley and Michael Jackson posters, the giant red reading chair. We punched out of that animal clinch, craving our one-minute sanctuaries. Then the dance began again, and I remembered a cockfight we'd watched in horror. They never end until one rooster quits. And finally, we welcome the voice of Caroline Mayer Toby. Her voice speaks to you from Porta Spain, Trinidad. The story Caroline reads is titled, They Give Birth. It's actually just an excerpt, and it's published in The Caribbean Writer in 2009 and was republished in 2016 in the Trinidadian short story collection, 16, a collection of short stories. They Give Birth by Caroline Mayo. My mother had a miscarriage when I was 11. That was the year the Pui tree bloomed for the first time, small yellow blossoms that fell just days after opening, a pale carpet spreading wider around its base each morning. I watched it from my bedroom window, watched time being measured out as one by one the flowers fell. I was waiting. Another flower fell. Another moment passed. Unfurling, falling, dying. 
Tammy lapsed into the life cycle of these paper-like flowers, yellowing and to be crushed underfoot. My mother's grief crept through the house and lingered, in the corners, on the stairs, between the holes of the wooden fretwork that decorated the eaves of the house, once late white, now chipped to expose the faded grey wood beneath the paint. Hers was an animal despair I could not understand. She lay in her room for hours, dark in that curtained hole, but I knew she was not asleep. Late into the night, I heard her moans. They strained through the thin plasterboard wood. They curled under the door, soft whispers almost swallowed in the night. Prayers, curses, strangled bargains with God. <laughs> she didn't do anything, God. Let her see your face. Let her come into heaven, she said. Let Esme come into heaven. What sins had my mother committed? I learned in Sunday school that Adam and Eve had original sin, were cast out of the Garden of Eden for this sin. We all had sin, were born with it. Did my little sister have more than other babies? My mother's on top of hers. What sins? Who else would my mother have preferred God to have taken? Me? Did I have extra sin too? Like Esme, did I have my mother's sin? Nadine had once told me that my mother almost died while giving birth to me. I was born 11 years ago, in a year of drought. Fire raged across the northern range, leaving black scars upon the hillsides. There was no water to soothe my mother's fevered brow or to clean up the bloody remnants of my birth. My mother was 17, and only an uncaring midwife delivered me, while my even less caring new grandmother sat in the heat outside the room in a rattan Morris chair, smoking, the ice melting in her gin and tonic. Nadine said the stench of the afterbirth was unbearable, and that starving Kobo flied above the house, for two days circling high, searching for the source. Blood dried to my skin, and the midwife had to brush away flies from my face while my mother held me for the first time. Perhaps that was my sin. I had almost killed my mother. Perhaps it was I who should have been taken, not little Esme. I did not move from the floor, but all night I had dreams of Kobo, black with their oily feathers guarding the entrance of the Garden of Eden, which was wreathed with orchids and tuberoses. I could smell the flowers faintly, but the stench of the Kobo me held me back. On their winged bodies they had the faces of women, deeply ravaged faces, scarred and pitted with time and a thirst for carrion. Sinner, they called out to me, called my name which I could not remember, and laughed in my ear, swooping past. They wanted little Esme. I carried her in my arms. She was little and blue and struggling to breathe like a fish pulled from the water, and I was stumbling as I ran from the cobble, searching for my mother. Thank you so much, Caroline, for sharing your words. Story time is now over. Hopefully, you want more. So go online and check out the full works of Roland Watson Grant, Inez Rivera Prodesimi, and Caroline Mayer Toby. Perhaps these viral days will encourage you to write your own story or keep your own journal. Well, 
Whatever you do, do it for posterity. Bonus, you get to hear the creative stylings of Amina. I have a story. Okay, what's the story? It's about a monkey named Momo. Okay. One day, Momo the monkey got separated from his family. He had no way of returning home. He was very lonely and sad, not for the fact that he was an only child, but because... He was all alone and by himself in the dark forests. So he saw a sign that said, climb if you want to be free. Momo listened and he obeyed and went above the sign. He jumped over it and said, this is my home. This is a trick. Whoever wrote this sign clearly does not like to help people. Oh, the monkey knows English because he is a, he's not a monkey, he's a monkfish. I do hope that you enjoyed the stories that were shared on this episode of For Posterity. You can always follow me and tell me what your story is on Instagram at rhythm.writer or by following me on Twitter at Isis Samaj Hall. Until next time, stay safe. Wash your hands and wipe your phone screen.